The mic's working this morning. So give me the thumbs up if I need. That doesn't tell me I'm doing good. It tells me I need to get that mic up closer to my mouth. Okay, so we are in Ecclesiastes. For those of you who haven't been here for the last few months, we've been in Ecclesiastes for seven months now, six months, six months, because we're in chapter six, and we're going through the whole year. And uh, we were talking about it last week, and somebody said, who had the idea of sitting in Ecclesiastes for 12 months? You know, if you've ever read it, um, that's not an obvious choice. But uh, uh, for me, it's actually been pretty good. So I got the chance to get chapter 6, the opportunity to get chapter 6, and uh, it's actually one of the shortest chapters, and it's actually pretty boring because it's a repeat of lots of other stuff. And really, it's, it's kind of the trough. We're at the bottom of the arc here, and after this, it starts getting really good. 7, 8, 9, 10 through 12, it starts getting good. So um, so what I chose to do, uh, for those of you who weren't here the last couple weeks, is I chose to take this month and, of course, go through Chapter 6, but also take this as our midway perspective. We're halfway through. We want to look back where have we been, where are we at, and where are we, go- where are we going. We want to get some situational awareness on Ecclesiastes. So the first week, just real quick, we looked at Ecclesiastes in the uh, biblical arc, the biblical narrative, and we went all the way back to Genesis, and we said, okay, we saw that God, uh, he created Adam, he created Eve, they're to rule together and co-rule with God with God's wisdom. They're supposed to lean into God's wisdom. Unfortunately, they leaned out, they grasped from the uh, tree of of, uh, knowledge of good and bad, and they grabbed the created's wisdom. So instead of going to the creator, they went to the creation for wisdom. And in fact, that broke love. It broke the world. They get cast into the field with the beasts. We all begin to act like beasts, and we know that story. But then the Bible talks about, very early on actually, at that point, God says there will be one who will come and unbreak love. He will actually redeem the world. And so we look for that person over and over and over. That takes us to Solomon. And of course, then Ecclesiastes is attributed to Solomon. Um, and, and Ecclesiastes then takes us uh, on this wild ride. I'll pause on that for a second. And we know the rest of the story that Solomon didn't know because we get to uh, Revelations or we get to New Testament and we know that, in fact, Jesus is the one who actually does it right. He's the one who fully leans into wisdom from God the Father, right? So we know that story. Solomon didn't know that story. Um, Then the next week, last week, we looked at Ecclesiastes in terms of those three books that are attributed to Solomon. We have Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. And of course, we talked about Proverbs being wisdom. It's kind of a garden type of book. It's like, this is the way things should work. You do this, you get this. Um, It's very much how we would teach our very young children. We don't make things overly complicated for them, right? Ecclesiastes is the adult version of wisdom because it says, yeah, wisdom's great and you should do this, but it, there are no guarantees, right? It doesn't always work out. And then Song of Solomon is the book that we point to for hope, right? Because that is the book that uh, uh, David said to me last week. He said, so did you really refer to Song of Solomon as soft porn? And I said, well... Indirectly, yeah. I said somebody else said that. So, um, but it's a very erotic book. It's a very um, there's there's very graphic language in there, and it's about a man and a woman, and it's about them pursuing marriage, um, and it's very very intimate. Um, in fact, uh, young children probably shouldn't read it if they can get any nuances, and, and but the but the 
the subline, or maybe it's the main main purpose, who knows, is about Jesus being the groom and the church being his bride. And it's about us marrying into wisdom and living a garden life once again. So it's very, very hopeful. So we have Proverbs is happy, Ecclesiastes is reality of the world that we live in, and Song of Solomon is hope. And now this week we're going to look at the narrative within Song of Solomon. And also so that you know, we're not going to actually cover the last three verses, which are excuse me, 10 and 11 and 12, we're actually going to cover those in our questions um, because I want to make it admission. I'll confess to my brothers here. Uh, sometimes when I read the Bible, every so often, like maybe every time, I actually put in my own bias. Is anybody else guilty of that here? Yes. So so I read, I read Ecclesiastes, and for years, I mean, I, I did an extensive study of Ecclesiastes when I was, I, was, I was in another country alone for a while. I didn't have wife or children, so I had lots of time. I mean, and it was extensive, and that was 10 years ago, and I just now caught what I was doing. And what I would do in Ecclesiastes is I would read a question as if it was a statement. Has anybody else done that? You just assume it's sarcastic. You assume that it's rhetorical. And for some reason this last week, that caught up with me, and I thought, I'm going to read these as questions, not as, not as what I already think, and he's just kind of using that as a, as a communication device. I'm going to read these as questions. So we're going to try that, and actually these are our questions. We took our questions directly from verses 10, 11, and 12, which are all questions. So we're going to spend the rest of the few minutes here just looking at Ecclesiastes and the narrative. All right, let me catch up with myself here. Where am I at? Okay, so... Let's come back to the central theme that we keep talking about in Ecclesiastes. What's the word that we say over and over and over again? Jason, how many times do we say it? Hevel. And how many times is it in the Bible? 70. And it's 40 in, in Ecclesiastes, probably 70 in the Bible. Yep. So, so I think that other teachers like Jason have done a great job of unpacking this word hevel. It often gets translated as meaningless or vanity, and we understand that, in fact, that's not its accurate meaning. It's more along the lines of a mist or a vapor. And so, you know, I, I like that. I like that when I heard that. It made a difference, and I said, okay, that makes sense. He's not saying that wisdom is meaningless. He's not saying that, that pursuing wealth is meaningless. He's just saying that it's vapor, and that I, for me, that makes some obvious sense. Um, but I was, left, I was left still a little bit wondering, but why, why would you use that so many times? Why is that the main theme? And so I want to take us back to Genesis 4. And if you, as you read, by the way, as you read Solomon's writings, it is just replete with Genesis stuff. There, you have to go back to Genesis so much. It's actually amazing. So we're going to go to Genesis 4, 1 through 8. And I'm going to read from a different translation, one you don't read too many times in a Christian uh, church. I'm going to read from the complete Jewish Bible, which is basically probably like an NIV or a New King James Version, but they replace certain words with Hebrew words. And I'm doing this on purpose. So here we go. The man, Adam, had sexual relations with Hava, or Eve, which means to live or have life, and that's his wife. She conceived, she gave birth to Cain, which means spear or maybe acquisition, and she said, I have acquired a man from Adonai, which means Lord. In addition, she gave birth to his brother, Hevel, 
which means breath or mourning as in sadness. And Hevel kept sheep while Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought an offering to Adonai from the produce of the soil. And Hevel too brought from the firstborn of his sheep, including their fat. Adonai accepted Hevel and his offering, but did not accept Cain and his offering. Cain was very angry and his face fell. And Adonai said to Cain, why are you angry? Why so downcast? If you are doing what is good, shouldn't you hold your head high? And if you don't do what is good, sin is crouching at the door. It wants you, Cain. It wants you, Jesse. But you can rule over it. Cain had words with Hevel, his brother. Then one time when they were in the field, Cain turned on Hevel, his brother, and killed him. And that, by the way, is the end of most of Hevel's story. He's brought up a few times, but he leaves no descendants. He leaves nothing, no cities, nothing like that. And so Genesis introduces the idea of Hevel. And kind of the way the name went, it was Hevel, Hevel, Abel. Right? And I'm sure there might have been a few renditions in there. And so from that, we can, we can get a little bit more on this word Hevel and what it means. We know that if he's from Genesis, we know that he pleased God. He actually did what was good in God's eyes, right? We know that he died early, an untimely death. He was murdered. Uh, very dissatisfactory. And then in Matthew 23, Jesus actually says that Abel or Hevel was righteous, that he was like the prophets and the wise men and the scribes that he sent to the Jewish people. So what does that leave our, the, our thoughts on, on Hevel or Abel? Does that put him in pretty high regard? Right? God declares that what he did was good. Jesus declares him righteous. And so this adds a lot to my understanding of Hevel. And so with that in mind, let's look at Ecclesiastes. So we've got the author um, who introduces the teacher, Kohelet, and uh, the teacher or the gatherer of people. And Kohelet then starts writing, and he basically casts us into a sense of doubt despair, uh, discouragement to the, to one degree. And, and he talks about everything being Hevel, that everything under the sun is Hevel. And so now when we think of that meaningless as meaningless, it doesn't make full sense, right? Everything is not meaningless. And we know that because we apply a, a pretty negative, um, connotation or, or, or definition to meaningless. So instead, we understand that, in fact, everything is a vapor or a mist. Okay, that makes more sense. It's kind of here today. It's gone tomorrow. You reach out to grasp it. You can't. You can't control it. That makes a lot of sense. But now he's adding a little bit more nuance here, and he's saying it's Hevel like Abel from Genesis. And he basically is saying that life isn't fair. You do good things. You please God, perhaps. You follow his commandments. And then what happens? You die. And sometimes it's not a fair death. Sometimes there's no justice for you. He goes on and he unpacks the forces that are against us. And two of them that I know to were time, he says, is unstoppable. And not a single one of us can do anything about that. And the second one, he says, is death. And he said, it's the great equalizer, the wise and the foolish, the rich and the poor, the leader, the follower, uh, the builder, and the one who occupies. We are all equalized in the end by death. 
And he's very clear about that. And he says that over and over and over. But he also does a good job. And again, this gets to the idea and the richer idea of Hevel. Of He does a good job of showing us where we place our hopes and what we put our trust into. And he talks about wisdom, and he talks about uh, uh, career, and he talks even about relationships, that in fact we put our hopes and trust into that. And of course, as Christians, we know we shouldn't, but we do it all the time. And he basically then dismantles that and says, you can do that. He never says, don't do that, in fact. Has anybody else noticed that? It took me a long time, you know, a few years of being a a Christ follower to realize he never says don't pursue wisdom. He never says don't, don't pursue your career. He never says don't pursue a great marriage. He just says it's Hevel and that no matter what happens, it can be unfair and it can be unjust. And so he dismantles those things that we actually put too much trust and hope into. And he t- tells us that there's no advantage to it. There can be good in it, but there's no advantage because we die. And he actually calls out, because it's not all discouraging, he calls out that there is good. And what does he say that is good? He says that this right here, what we're doing, men, this is good. Us being together, us talking to each other, the little things that you do in relationships, the big things that you do in relationship. He says that it's good, but he also says it's hevel. Because though it's good, it may not always work out the way you want to, and it's not fair. And it feels unjust. And Ecclesiastes ends with the author. So you have the author introduces, Kohelet talks, and then the author ends. And he ends with the conclusion. He basically says, let me sum up all of these 12 chapters, and I'm going to do it really quickly. He says, this is what it's all about. He says, fear God. Stand in awe of your father, the creator, of who he is and what he's done and how he loves you. Do that first, and then simply follow his commandments. And again, we have a benefit because Jesus was asked, you know, teacher, what are the commandments? What are, what's the greatest commandment? And what did he say? Yeah, love God and love yourself as others. Exactly. So fear him or, or revere him, stand in awe of him and who he is, and then do what he says, which is to love him and love others. He says that's the whole of all of this. In fact, he, he goes bigger. He says, that's the whole of who we are and who we're supposed to be. That is actually the garden life. And so what he's introducing here in this very adult way is he's saying, there was the garden life. We broke it. But you know what? We can live in the garden life in this broken world. It just isn't going to feel exactly the way it once did. It's a little different. So I was actually really excited about this, and I was talking with my brother on the phone. He's from California. He's not a follower, uh, but he's sensitive to spiritual things, knows a little bit about the Bible. And, and he said, what? we're in the middle of talking. We've been talking for about five minutes. And he said, what book are you talking about? And I started to say it, and he said, are, did you say Enthusiastes? And I, 
And I laughed. I'm like, well, yeah, it kind of feels like that. Like, I'm really enthusiastic about this book. And I was, I was kind of on a high yesterday. Like, man, I can't wait to bring this message because it is so encouraging. And, and don't get me wrong. I realize it's discouraging and it's, it's sad and it's hard and it's, it's the hevel because Abel did good but then was ultimately murdered. But it is an encouraging story because it points to Jesus. And it points to what we, what's to come and what we already have. And, and then last night, around 10 o'clock, on the phone, I sat with a friend as he sits in an extremely difficult time in his life um, with a very, very sick daughter, with another daughter who, while they have one that's super sick and in the hospital doing something, another one uh, loses consciousness and has what they think is a seizure. And I could go on and on, but it's not my story to tell. And so we're on the phone last night, and I got off the phone and I was working, so I was probably already a little bit discouraged working that late at night, but I was working and it just, that enthusiastes, it kind of left me, to be honest with you. It, it, I didn't feel good. In fact, there was, a, there was a moment around 12 o'clock last night where as I'm working and thoughts, disparate thoughts are kind of pinging across the brain, I thought, maybe I just need to bag tomorrow and like come with something different. Maybe I just need to read the verses and let us sit here and wallow in the pain and the discouragement and the lack of justice and really feel hevel. But when I woke up this morning, I thought, that is the point. That is exactly the point that he's making. And, and here's the deal. We, we walk out of chapter 6 and we walk into chapter 7 with Dave t- uh, two weeks from now. Um, and that is going to be phenomenal. And we walk out with a few points that I, I, I think I can still convey with integrity here. Part of it is that whether or not Ecclesiastes is ultimately discouraging to you really depends on your heart. Because the discouragement I feel for my buddy Scott, you know, on one hand, of course, I've got to feel for him, right? And my heart breaks for him and for his family. And on the other hand, what is, it, what is the whole of us? Regardless of our circumstance, we're to love God. We're to stand in fear and awe of our God, the creator, and then just do what he says and understand that, that even when it's hevel, it's Abel who ends early and ends in an unjust way, you just lived a great life and you did great things for God and Abel's case and for us as followers of Jesus for each other. That's pretty uplifting, and that's a point we need to think about as we go into chapter 7 and we go on. And I also thought this. I thought, who would we rather be? Would we rather be the guy that that pleases God and gets murdered unjustly? Or would we rather be the guy who murders, but God forgives, and then he goes on to build a city, he gets married, he has some descendants... You know, we don't know how long he lived, but, you know, he had a life and he had God's protection. Like, ask yourself that question. Do you want to be Abel or do you want to be Cain? And, of course, we're in church world, so what's the right answer? Abel is a church. Yeah, that's the right answer. But check your heart. Because I know there are times when I'd much rather be Cain. And, of course, you're not supposed to say that. I don't want to murder anyone. But I want that grace because of all the murdering that I've done. All right, maybe I haven't physically, but I've done it up here. In my profession, I have ideated how I would neutralize a threat many times. And, and, and 
maybe that's not murder if it's protecting someone else, but I've done my share of killing in my heart. So your answer betrays where your heart is. And so with that, as we leave chapter six, welcome to the world that we helped create, that our, our desire for our own wisdom has created this. And it's both beautiful and it's both ugly at the same time. And as we go into chapter 7, welcome to the world that Kohelet has created for us just to sit in for 12 gut-wrenching chapters, right? So that we can understand that that even with the, the lack of justice, even with that hevel, that there is great good for us to do, and there is great good, and there actually is meaning in our lives. It is not all despair. And be reminded that as we struggle with this, we're usually putting our trust in the wrong place. And so one of the famous lines, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, hevel of hevels, all is hevel, feels a lot different. Because it's not just vanity and meaningless. It actually is much deeper and much greater than that. So let's pray. Father God, on behalf of these men, I would ask you, uh, I would ask you to make us more like Abel. We are not looking to be treated unjustly, but we are looking to please you. Father, we are looking to do things that, in fact, um, uh, Jesus, that you could declare us righteous. We are looking for you to um, show us that, that this world, um, even though it's broken, Jesus came and he actually unbroke it. Even though we broke love with you, Jesus came and he has redeemed it, Lord. And that if we can lean into him, if we can lean into you, we can actually have a life that is pleasing and is full of meaning. So we ask you to uh, show us the people that you would have us love. This morning, it's each other. Help us to do that well. Help us to do that as men who see things that need to be done, see things that need to be said, see times that we need to listen, and then just do it and do it to your glory. And we ask you to help us to follow your voice. Help us to lean into you. And when we can't hear you, Lord, I just invite my brother next to me to smack me across the head and say, listen up, so that in fact, God... There wouldn't be another day or another minute in my life where I didn't at least for a bit hear your voice and your wisdom. We thank you for, uh, we thank you for Ecclesiastes or Enthusiastes, Father God. And uh, we just ask you to um, just remind us who you are and that we should stand in awe of you for this day forward. And it's in Christ's name that we pray.